Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Well, I actually got the nickname Godzilla when I played in Rochester back in uh, 92, 93. And, you know, I'm a big guy and I... I you know, I have a I have a pretty good temper, and then you know I play with a lot of passion on the ice, and and as I had a pretty pretty solid year in Rochester, the fans gave me the nickname Godzilla. They said nothing gets by Godzilla, so I got that nickname and uh, kind of shortened it to Zilla on the chin. And you know the first mask we had, um, guys would say it looked like Barney, <laughs> and actually this design changed a little bit two years ago when we went from a natural looking. Tyrannosaurus Rex, so to speak, because that was pretty much the closest thing to a Godzilla to a uh, Mecha Godzilla, which is a futuristic, uh, robotic-looking creature, and um, I think it's, uh, you know, it stands out. Got a lot of compliments on it. Sometimes masks can be a little too detailed and they're tough to pick up on camera, but when you see them up close, you go, wow, that's pretty cool. The colors are cool, um, the idea is pretty cool. And then, uh, you know, I have the monument and the, and the Capitol building. 9-11 uh, happened and, you know, I wanted to put the Pentagon in there and, and so we did that. And, you know, on my back plate I have my kids' names and the autism ribbon and uh, my other nickname, Ole the Goalie. But other than that, you know, once you have the basic design, it's pretty much what I've worn for, I don't know, 10, 10 12 years now. You know, anytime there's, uh, there's something special to, that I need to, uh, like I said, pay tribute to, then I'll do that to my mask. Hi, I'm Ole Kozik of the Washington Capitals. You know the difference between hockey and those other sports? You gotta be tough to be a hockey player. I idolized Dominic Kaczyk. I played goalie because of Dominic Kaczyk. My life in hockey has been started because of Sabres hockey. I didn't need playoffs this year. I wanted it, but I didn't need it. But when you screw up for the fans as much as the team has over the last, like, five years, and just don't hold yourself accountable. I'm sorry. I'll hang up and listen. I'm sorry. Welcome to Two Goalies, One Mike, an in-depth look and behind-the-mask conversation about the greatest game on earth, where everything goes and nothing's off limits. Now I'll tell you something about this guy. This is only three minutes, eh? Whammo! Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, episode 14 of Two Goalies, One Mike, uh, alongside my co-host Dwayne. Uh, Dwayne, we got an unreal guest for us, um, somebody that I, I grew up watching, uh, so why don't you tee up the listeners, I think it's going to be a treat, who do we got? Uh, I'll tell you what, man, I don't I don't even feel worthy of inter- introducing this guy, to be honest with you. Um, he ripped my heart out in 90, 1998. Um, 300 wins over his course of his career, won the Vezda 2000, King Clancy in 2006, the all-time leader in cap for the Capitals in games played, minutes played, wins, and tied for shutouts, two-time All-Star, NHL Foundation Player of the Award, 
Player of the Year Award in 2001, and ECHL Hall of Famer, and so happens to be the co-owner of the Tri-City Americans and current developmental coach for the Washington Capitals, Olaf freaking Kolzig. Oli the goalie, Godzilla, how are you, man? I'm good. Thanks for that introduction. You must be from Buffalo. Uh, <laughs> yeah. You had a broken heart in '98. Yeah, you ripped it. You ripped it to shreds, man. But you know what? Um, we didn't. We didn't earn it that year, man. And uh, you outplayed who we consider here in Buffalo the goat, uh, Dominic Hasek. You who one, you consider the goat? I consider the goat. But uh, you outplayed him, man, and you ripped our hearts out in 1998. <laughs> I was to say, I was a special year. You guys. You guys made a valiant effort, uh, I think, the following year against Dallas, which uh, I'm sure that probably broke your heart even more. Oh, it was only it was a tough stretch here for us Buffalo fans, yeah. um, especially coming off of the the four time Super Bowl losing Buffalo Bills. You know, we thought we had it, and it was at 98-99, only to be you know the no goal thing. So hey, but thanks again for coming on, man. It's it's a real honor for us, and I know our, our listeners are going to get a real kick out of this. Oh, for sure. Yeah, my pleasure. My pleasure. I got a lot of a lot of free time on my hands these days, as do a lot of people around the world. Yeah. So don't... speaking of which, um, we were talking about it off air a little bit. Can where where are you posted up and uh, during this quarantine, and uh, what have you been doing to keep busy? Uh, I'm in Kennewick, Washington. Uh, that's where uh, uh, you know that's where the Tri City Americans play, and kind of. Between a stretch in Florida, it's kind of been my home base since '88. Uh, um, keeping busy, just trying to find to do things around the house. Uh, you know, keeping my girls up on their schooling. Um, yeah, just just trying to just trying to stay sane and and, and uh, occupied every day. Now, how is that being like a stay-at-home teacher, like, like an at-home teacher right now? Because I've talked well, to a couple people. Well, fortunately, my, my girls are teenagers, so they're online schooling. Oh, um, okay. From their high school, so um, you know, I'm just I'm just there to make sure they get up in the morning to attend class and that they're doing their homework at night. And uh, you know, the fortunate thing is they both drive, so um, they have cars that that uh, can get taken away from them if they don't uh, <laughs> do what mom and dad say. Athletes. Uh, not hockey. Uh, they did competitive cheer for a long time. Uh, my oldest daughter is starting to get into golf now, so uh, which is good for me. Absolutely. Um, but yeah, right now they're uh, they're concentrating on school. My my one daughter's got uh, another year left of high school, and then she's she's off to college. So uh, she's really she's really putting an effort here and in the getting her GPA up. Yeah, the the golf the golf game is really we're really struggling right now. I I, I love to get out there and swing uh, swing the twigs and whatnot and uh it's it's really a struggle right now courses are open but you know carts allowed and it's been real rainy out here up here in buffalo i played around guys uh last week at the local par three course at bobolinks and uh you know i don't mind walking for the lack of a meniscus i have it makes it kind of tough but within the first two holes uh my feet my socks my shoes were soaked and that's miserable no matter what you're doing but have that happen a whole two was miserable um so only you mentioned that um you're you're uh, you're part of the ownership group for the Tri City Americans. Um, I noticed that uh, a, a name Sabres fans will recognize Stu Barnes. Is he still a part of the ownership group? Yeah, yeah. Stu and I are mm. our co-owners, uh, along with Bob Torrey, our GM, and Stu and I played together in Tri Cities and uh, been uh, been best of friends uh, since our playing days, and just continued to to stay in touch. And then when this opportunity came up in '05 to to purchase the team, we um, we thought it was a no-brainer, yeah. and uh, we've been owners ever since. 
kind of funny with with Stu. I was always a big fan of his when he played here in Buffalo. The, obviously, the Stu chant every time he scored. But I actually purchased the Stu Barnes jersey because uh, it's hard to get the old black and red jerseys. Uh, you know, new, you can't really get them new here at all. So you always have to like resort to a thrift store. And I found one uh, at a thrift store. I bought this thing maybe seven months ago, and I still have yet to pick it up. I bought it online, so I got to get on that once this is all over with. But uh, <laughs> Stu was always a fan favorite here, man. Uh, really, really good guy from what I've heard. And uh, great, great guy, yeah, super guy. I believe it. Um, yeah. So. Um, you know, you were one of the very first of the uh, the big goalies, um, which is to me is like you know. Then you look at the size of goalies nowadays. You're six foot three. You were nicknamed Godzilla. Now, did like the fan base give you that nickname? Was that more of a media thing, or was uh... no? Actually, it was my uh, it was my third year pro. I got loaned out to Rochester, um, and uh, I had a really had a really good year there. Um, and you know, I was like you said, I was a big goalie, one of the bigger ones back in the day. And um, you know, I, I wore my wore my emotions on my sleeve, which wasn't always a good thing. But um, because of that, you know, I played with a lot of fire, and I was playing well. And I just came came to the rink one day, one night, and there was a fan in the stands with a banner, "Nobody beats Godzilla," and <laughs> it's kind of it's kind of it's kind of stuck ever since. I love it. I love it. I remember uh, I was born in 91. So, you know, looking back at your career, I, I remember, you know, a couple things stick out and, and I, two parts. I, you, you mentioned you wore your emotions on your sleeve. I, I was the same way. And I constantly had to remind myself uh, not too high, not too low, just because of our position. And, and that brings me up to, uh, you know, Dwayne brought up how you were a big goalie. You were on the NHL network during the, uh, I think it was the, yeah, during the Stanley Cup finals there with uh, Washington in Las Vegas. And in talking about Holtby, uh, you mentioned how, you know, he had battled through some, you know, some difficulties the year before. But, and then you were asked, I think by week C, just how much the position of goaltending has changed. And, you know, me and Dwayne kind of lived through that. Uh, but for you, you know, coming into the league when you did and, you know, the changes to equipment and whatnot, what do you remember about, you know, kind of being a part of that and how much did your game change throughout the years? Well, yeah, I mean, I was kind of near the near the end of my career when the, when the you know, and the, and the position's always evolving, uh, whether it's 10 years or 20 years. Um, you know, I was a butterfly guy kind of um, early on. I, I kind of molded my game around Ron Hextall, same type of personalities. I uh, actually handled the puck quite a bit when I was in junior. Um, but then I started... Uh, watching Patrick Waugh a little bit more and and felt by implementing the butterfly I was I was a lot more consistent um, and you know back then you know we were talking you know the small player couldn't play because you know the big the big defensemen uh, were clutching and grabbing and um, it almost made it a little bit easier for a goaltender because you knew that you know your defenseman's got the guy tied up in front or if uh, you know if it's a two on one um the, the skill level nowadays is just off the charts the speed is off the charts um so a goalie's ability to, to read and react and um and process things i think is uh um is one of the probably the biggest ability that these kids have to have uh, when getting drafted absolutely um, the athleticism of the goalies i mean they have to they have to keep up with the lateral you know the east west plays and the um you know, so long gone are the days when put the fat kid in net. You know, now it's <laughs> they're every bit every bit the athlete as anybody else in the sporting world. McKenna actually if not, said if something not like more that last so. week. 
Yeah, McKenna actually said something about that in episode 13 last week. Is uh, it almost like very similar to what you just said. You can't put the bigger kid in net uh, in that anymore. Uh, you know, everything's kind of just. Um, well, you can if he has if he has the uh, if he has the agility and speed. Yep. Um, that's that's the ultimate. Um, you know, like a Pekka Rene or a Ben Bishop. Yeah, I look at those um, that's guys. The ultimate. I look at those guys, Oli, and, and it's just amazing what they can do with their body at that speed. I, uh, Ben Vanderklok, uh, the goalie coach in Nashville. Are you are you familiar with him? Yeah, I met him. Uh, met him a few years ago. So he was my goalie coach in the O for the Niagara Rice Dogs, and I've got the chance to work with him. And just hearing him talk about uh, you know Pekka and, and what he's able to do with his body, <clears throat> I, I have two questions for you. You mentioned handling the puck. And I'm looking at your stats here uh, of 89-90. It says here you had six points, a goal, and five assists. Is that right? That's correct. I, I love a, it. I got, a pretty good, I got a funny story about that. Fire Let's me up. It. What do you got? So uh, I just gotten drafted uh, the previous summer by Washington. I ended up making the team out of training camp as a 19-year-old and uh, eventually got sent back. And uh, when I got sent back, I came back with – um, not a bad attitude, but the wrong attitude. I, I came back thinking that, hey, I just made the NHL. You know, coming back to the Western League, I should be able to dominate. And um, you know, and it's the furthest thing from the truth because, uh, as you know, every level you go down, uh, the game is just so much, so much more uh, helter skelter. You know, you got the best players in the world um, that are in front of you, and they all do their job. 100% of the time. So for a goalie, once you're up to speed, the NHL is actually uh, fairly easy uh, because everybody does their job. As you go down, and obviously the Western League is a far cry from the American League and East Coast League, uh, it really got it really got uh, helter-skelter. And so um, uh, I got lit up early on when I got sent back. And uh, there was a game in November against the uh, Seattle Thunderbirds at home. And... Uh, I'd already had, uh, I, God, I guess I, well, I didn't have a Gordie Howe hat trick because I didn't get a fight, but I had a penalty and assist. <laughs> um, and so we were up 4 2, uh, 30 seconds left, and uh, Seattle dumped the puck in. It was delayed offside. So I had enough time to get behind the net and corral it and uh, put my head up. And I was going to, you know, we wanted to sail it over everybody's head, but uh, I actually fanned on it a little bit. And I think the puck was about two feet off the ice, and one Ooh. of my one of my players actually had to lift his leg to let the puck go by, and um, it just kind of curled uh, inside the left post uh, for the goal, and the bench cleared, and, um, you know, it was, it was the best game I'd had since I got sent back to junior, and um, I got a call from Jack Button, who was our uh, uh, director of player personnel from Washington the next day, and um, I answered the phone, and... Uh, Jack's uh, like, hey, Ollie, I, uh, I heard you had a hell of a game last night. And I was so excited. I said, yeah, oh, yeah, Jack, it was unbelievable. You know, um, uh, benches cleared, and uh, it was just great. And, and Jack just kind of calmly sat there and listened. And, and uh, then all of a sudden, Deadpan just said, well, that's great. But the last time I checked, we drafted you to stop pucks, not to score. And you, <laughs> haven't been, and you haven't been doing a very good job of that this year. So I suggest you change your mentality. And I don't think I handled the puck the rest of the year after that. <laughs> quick way so, to quick way to tighten you up there. Oh yeah, yeah. He brought me back to earth real quick. Oh my god, yeah. I love it. I love it. Seattle with six attackers on. Now Gervais trying to pump it in front. Can't do it. Picked up by Nibs. He shoots it down the ice, but it's picked off and centerized by Ballas. He'll just dump it back in around the boards. Forty-nine seconds to go. Now Colson shoots for the open goal. It may score. It does. Oh, 
Kolzik scores! Oh my goodness! Kolzik scores a goal! And Tri-Cities will win it! It's been done in the NHL! Ron Hextall, now Olaf Kolzik scores and listen to the crowd! Something you don't see very often. Hextall has done it. Michelle Ploss has done it in the minor leagues about 10 years ago. That is the first goaltender to score in the Western Hockey League history. Wow. And We've seen history closing out this game tonight. You just saw it on Prime Sports Northwest and heard it on the T-Birds radio network. Olaf Kolzig not only had a fabulous game at goal tonight, for the Tri-City Americans, he scores a goal. Wow! Never been done before in the WHL. Only been done a couple times in hockey history. And what's even more amazing, Carlos, is when Hextall's done a couple times, he has skated out to get the shot near the blue line. This time, Olaf shot it from his own crease area. He was right on target. Hey, don't look now. Kozik has a two-point night. A goal and an assist in this hockey game. First goaltender to score in the Western Hockey League. Unbelievable. You know, you can almost see it when he scooped it right there in the slot area. It was only a matter of whether he had the angle, and he did. Olaf Kolzig, the toast of the town and try tonight. Yeah, man. Uh, you, But you didn't, you mean, you, you kind of, I wouldn't say, you know, out of any disrespect, you bounced around a little bit for seven years before you really got your first crack in the NHL. Uh, in 97-98, and I mean, what, 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 to be like the first full-time starter, and what the hell, what, what, what a great first year. I mean, 98, you took that team to the finals, as I mentioned earlier, you broke my heart. Uh, I believe you had like 33 wins. Um, what, what a way to, why, what, what, what a way to really start your NHL career. Um, can you kind of like just take us through that team? Because some of the names on that roster of yours that went to the finals, I mean, you had, I mean, Bondra, Joey Juno, Gonchar, Dale Hunter was your captain, uh, Adam Oates, Phil Housley. You guys had a roster, man, and the West Coast back then, me and Cully were talking earlier, and he even mentioned that the West Coast was really... Western Conference. I mean, Western Conference, yeah, I apologize. The Western Conference was really, like, you know, a powerhouse back then. We With Colorado, Detroit, you know, just that, that rivalry in it itself was just unbelievable, the, the talent on both those teams, just the, them alone. Um, can you just kind of take us through that run you guys had, um, especially with the play of like not just yourself, but Peter Bondra? I mean, he had c- himself quite a quite a year that year too. Yeah, man, oh, it's really you know above seventy points in that year. Yeah, what was that season like? Well, it was obviously it was on the way you know the way that it culminated at the end. It was an unbelievable season. But personally, yeah, that was kind of my coming out um, seven years after I got drafted. But uh, which I don't think. In today's game with a salary cap, um, teams will have that amount of patience on a player. Um, I was just fortunate that uh, that I did with Washington, but um, yeah, we and you know, and Bill Ranford was my partner. Uh, forget him. Um, oh yeah, that's but, right. Yeah, so it was uh, it was it was unbelievable. Um, we really came out of the gate strong. And Billy got hurt first. We both had a great training camp. Billy got hurt uh, opening night against Toronto. Uh, the first period, he took one. He took one where men don't like to get hit, mm. and so uh, it was my opportunity to go in. And, and Toronto, up to that point, was kind of my nemesis uh, building. Um, we hate him too. Don't worry. What's that? We hate him too. Don't too, worry. Especially me. Well, not not so much the, the the hating the team. It just it wasn't 
very good place for me to play. I never, uh, I never played well there. I, I, I know what you mean. I feel his goalies. Years, so. Sorry, I feel like his goalies. Only we all have those rinks that we play really well in, but then for some reason we have area or rinks that we or cities that we struggle in. And I think that non goalies maybe don't get that as much for us because you know we're such creatures of habit and routine. Um, so was that what it was like in Toronto for you? Uh, no, not initially. I, I don't know what it was. Uh, it, ended, it ended up being Pittsburgh was my my ultimate nemesis, which continued long after I was a capital until we finally beat them a few years ago. But uh, for Toronto, I, I just don't know. Um, it's ironic because the first, the second start I ever had in uh, in '89 uh, was in Toronto, and the first half of the game we were up four one, and I was playing unbelievable um, as a nineteen year old, and. Uh, unfortunately, you know, we were up 4-1, like I said, halfway through the game. By the end of the game, we lost 8-4. So, uh, needless to say, I was on my way back to junior after that game. But um, I, I, I got hurt in that building. I, I dislocated my kneecap. Um, it, just, it just wasn't a good building for me. It wasn't so much the team. It was just bad luck happened to me there. So, when I got put in the net um, in, uh, in 97, um, we were up 5-1 after the first period. And, uh, you know, instead of being a very confident kid going in, you know, based on the training camp I had, here I was going, okay, just don't blow this, just don't blow this, which is the wrong mindset you, have, you can have as a goalie. But uh, anyway, I got through the game. We ended up winning. I shut out Toronto the rest of the way. And for me, that was kind of my breakthrough moment, like my mental breakthrough moment. And I just felt like a, like a world beater after that. And I went on a hell of a run. The team went on a hell of a run. I took over the starting spot and um, uh, went to the Olympics that year. It was the first year in uh, in Nagano that the NHL went to the Olympics. So I went to to uh, to Japan representing Germany, which was unbelievable. Uh, played the All Star Game that year, which was in Vancouver, um, which my family was living in BC at the time, so that was unbelievable. And then we uh, we end up going on this unbelievable playoff run. Um, and unfortunately, we lost to the defending Stanley Cup champions, you know, four straight, which I felt the series was a lot closer than that, you know, and there were opportunities for us in that series to change the momentum, um, and it just didn't happen. But like you said, we had an unbelievable roster, a great group of guys. We, you know, we brought in Brian Bellows and Essatikinen at the trade deadline, um, which I think was, was huge from a from an experience standpoint. Um yeah, we had Chris Simon, Adam Oates, Joey Juno, Peter Bondra. Um, you know, Bonsai was our was our Ovechkin back then. Um, mm-hmm. He was he was the ultimate the ultimate goal scorer that could that could just fly. He's almost like a Connor McDavid um, type player. Um, but uh, you're right. Like the Western Conference had you know the Dallas, Colorado, Detroit. Um, St. Louis was pretty good too back then. St. Right? Louis was good back then too. So. Um, but you know we had some pretty good teams, and, and things kind of fell our way that that year too. I mean, I think Philly got upset, New Jersey got upset. Um, you know, we beat a pretty tough Boston team, um, so things were kind of, you know, kind of uh, fell fell in line good for. It. I mean, you know, obviously Boston or Buffalo is a tough team. Anytime you got the Dominator in that, um, it's going to be a, it's a, it's a tough challenge and. Uh, uh, that was another good series. So, um, can I ask yeah, you about that series really quickly? Oh, I just wanted to ask, before you go on further and for that series. So you go into it. <clears throat> you mentioned Dom having, you know, he was, you know, f- fantastic. But you, you, you were up to the challenge, and 
in that game six, so you guys go in, you guys were up three to two, and that that game six went to overtime. What do you remember about that game? Well, obviously the the goal that Joey Juno scored. Um, yeah, I mean it was just it was just one of those. In Buffalo was a was a back then Buffalo was an unbelievable place to play in uh, HSBC Arena, and uh, you know the, the crowds were great. Um, and then going into that series, I mean it wasn't. It wasn't like it was me against the dominator. I mean, I, he wasn't—he wasn't shooting on me. I mean, I was I had to worry about everybody, you know, all the offensive guys you guys had. Um, so I didn't really take it on as a challenge. I just, for me, it was—I just wanted to give my guys the, the best chance to win, and, and hopefully they could, you know, they could—they could solve Dom, and, and we did. Um, but yeah, I mean, I mean, after we won, after Joey scores that goal, I mean, um, we flew back to DC and back then, you know, you, you, you loaded a bus, you went from the rink to the airport to your charter. Now they take the cars right to the airport. Um, so we got on the bus when we landed and, and came back to our practice rink and we knew something was going on because for about two miles from the practice rink, there were cars lined up on the side of the road and we got there, the parking lot was packed We walk in and the whole practice rink was just filled with fans and two in the morning. And, uh, um, it's kind of what we figured the the celebration would have been a little bit for the Stanley Cup, and then, like I said, unfortunately, it didn't get to that. But um, that was definitely our, our, I guess, our Stanley Cup moment that night after we beat Buff. Well, still something to be really proud yeah. of, and and that was the first cup, you know, for a while for you guys, and and still like I I, I can't imagine just getting to that moment, and uh, you know, even though you beat the Sabers, and that's like Dwayne mentioned yeah, a couple you times, ripped my heart off. It, but you know, you were you were phenomenal that year, and and. Like Dwayne also mentioned, <clears throat> you hadn't had a ton of success, or you know, and, and you were relatively new to the league. Um, you know, you bouncing around in the minors for for as long as you did, so that had to be a validating moment for you, no? Oh, no question. I mean, yeah. I mean, I, you know, I was I was drafted 19th overall in, in '88 and or '89, and um, didn't become a starter till '97. And like I said, I mean, in today's today's era, that wouldn't happen. Um, and you know. I had to come out, like I said, early on, I was, uh, I wore my emotion on my sleeve and sometimes, you know, uh, it was a great strength of mine, but also it was a weakness of mine. And until I got that under control and was able to channel, channel things a little differently, uh, I was always going to be inconsistent. And then, um, you know, the year before I, I finally started working on that thing, uh, working on those things. And, and, uh, and like I, I tell my guys now, um, in Washington, all the, all the prospects, like you said earlier, you keep your mountains low. And your valley's high. You know, you, you just don't get too high, don't get too low. You stay consistent. And um, and once I was able to get the tools and uh, to, to to work on that, uh, my game took off. Yeah, man. And like like I said, with that with that run you guys put together in in '98, like it was. I mean, granted, I I personally, because as as a fan who got was beaten by you, I was rooting for you that year because as a fan, you always want the ones that beat you to go on and win the whole thing. So you could just go look back and say, Oh, Hey, you know, at least, at least we lost to the champions. But I mean, right. man, just, it's just that, 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 that series you played against us. And I mean, I've always been a huge advocate for Dom because I always felt that he never played with the caliber of talent that most of the goalies that are in his echelon played with, um, which I, I feel to be true. Um, but even though, like, I look back at those game logs, man, and you really, really, really just stepped up your stepped up your game to a different level, and 
I, I I'm not ashamed to say that you you were the better goaltender that you're in that 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 series, and you even said it. Uh, there was an article I, as I was preparing for this interview. Um, there was an uh, uh, an, an article done in the Buffaloes back in '98 by Vic Carucci about how you went on and said, you know, you know, he's beatable. He, we, 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 we can beat this guy. He's beatable. And it's true because a lot of teams back then, the, the, when coming into Buffalo, teams, like the, 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 the knock on Buffalo was you weren't coming in to play the Sabres. You were coming in to play Dominic Kashuk. And a lot of nights that was true because, you know, you know, with us being a small market, we were kind of a team that was built around a goaltender rather than, you know, you guys had your Bondra, you had um, – Joey Juno, Sergey Gonchar, Dale, Dale Hunter, uh, Adam Oates, guys like that, you know, who could really carry your team, even if you yourself were struggling a night or two, whereas we didn't really have that luxury here in Buffalo. So that really just kind of like speaks to like, you know, the fact that you outplayed that guy. Um, it's just, you know, like I said, I, I'm not ashamed to admit that, you know, um, you were you were the better guy that year. And, um, you know, I know. Well, I appreciate it. But like you said, I mean, I felt I felt like we both played great, um, and I think the difference was is we, like you said, we we had some game breakers. Oh, you did. Uh, you had guys weren't, too. weren't as deep and you know on the offensive side of things, but um, like I, I still there's that argument of who's who's been the, who's the best goaltender ever. Was it Wah? Was it was it uh, Berger? Um, you know, whatever. But I I have Dom right up there. I mean, what what he did. Like you said, on a small market team, pre-salary cap, I mean, he just, he was, he psyched, he psyched teams out before you guys even stepped on the ice, before teams even stepped on the ice. It's half that, the battle right there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's, and that says a lot about an athlete, it's like a Michael Jordan or a Tiger Woods or, you know, whatever, but he had that type of, that uh, aura about him, and um, I don't know if you can necessarily say that about Marty or, or Patty. Um, because they they were usually surrounded with pretty good pretty good players, um, but yeah, I mean that was just we felt we could beat them. Uh, we had you know I think regular season I think we split series against Buffalo and we had some success against Dom and um, so we didn't have I guess we didn't have that mindset like uh, you know that he's going to beat us because we just you know we'd already we'd already gotten through Boston we'd already gotten through Buff- uh, Ottawa. And, you know, the Caps up until that point always had, you know, there were always times where they were up 3-1 in a series and ended up losing the series. So we'd already come, overcame a few hurdles that we really thought that that was going to be our year. And we really thought we had a special group. So um, that whole, the dominator factor wasn't, we, we respected them and we knew it was going to be hard, but we didn't feel like uh, it was going to be impossible. Yeah, and you have to go in there with that type of mindset, man. If you want to, if you want to win, because like, you just, yeah, you can't let yourself get psyched out. Especially you as a goaltender, like you said, you're not playing Dominic Hasek. You're playing the the, the shooter. You know, got to just yep. give your chance a team a chance to win. It's the same way in, in football, man. You, the quarterbacks aren't playing each other, even though that is like the highlighted matchup. You know, it's Brady versus Manning, or it was Marino for us? It was Marino versus Kelly, um, or whoever it may be? Um, it, it's you know, you're playing, you're playing. The, the shooter or the quarterback's playing against the defense. Um, so, you know, it's you have to go in there with that type of swagger, I guess is a better word yep. for it. Yep, that's right. I uh, One one last question about that, that run. Um, you guys go in against Detroit. Um, you know what? 
like you mentioned, you played a couple tough teams to get there. Um, and what sticks out for me is, is, like you mentioned, your depth. Um, but I wanted to touch on really quick, if you don't mind, because um, we have some, you know, we have some a lot of young younger goalies that listen to the show. And you had mentioned a couple times about how teams might not have the patience with you. But I think it goes to, to speak to your perseverance. And, you know, a lot of guys have, 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 you know, gotten to that point, had their cup of coffee, had their sniff. It didn't go well and, and never really got back to that point. Uh, you had mentioned earlier, too, that, you know, you, you had to learn how to control that emotion. Um, but I felt like that was definitely one of your strengths as once you learn to control it, uh, that passion, that ability to, to make the save when your team needed it. Um, but in, in your different stops, you know, along the way from Baltimore to Hampton Roads to Rochester, um, and then, you know, having, you know, a couple games here and there, um, any, anybody stick out in your mind that, that played a huge role for you, any goalie partners or, or coaches or any singular moments that you can point to and, and say, you know, that was huge for me in, in recognizing that, you know, I still had a chance and, and this is what I needed to do to get here. Well, I mean, uh, I, I took experiences from every year. Um, you know, the year that I, I got sent down to the coast, uh, you know, you're a first rounder and you get sent down the East Coast League. Uh, you know, it's not too far removed from slap shot. And so you're thinking, what the hell's going on here? Um, and then, you know, you meet a guy like John Brophy. And uh, Brof, Brof was huge for me when uh, when I got sent down there. Um kind of explain it and you don't see it as a player um and now being on the other side of the door in management you do obviously you, you see the reasoning but there's a plan for every player and there's only so many jobs on every team and, and so Brof explained to me like listen hey this i know this isn't ideal and um but you're gonna play a lot uh, you need to play a lot you're young and the coast is a great is a great starting point for young goaltenders um didn't really say too much as far as players go because it's a little different but he says you're going to see some different situations um uh and and you'll find that when you go play in the american league it's and and this is where i went to earlier where it becomes you know you go from the coast you go from junior to the coast coast to the american league and and every level just seems a little bit more um coordinator uh organized yeah, and you mentioned it before, but you don't have to worry about those blown defensive assignments. When you get to the National League, you know, you can trust or have more trust that, you know, the guys in front of you are going to pick up that that play. So, like you mentioned, when you, you get bumped down a rung on the ladder, it's, okay, I don't have that luxury. And, and like you said, it almost becomes harder when you get sent down a level. Yeah, for sure. Um, and so, so for me, Brof was huge to, to kind of explain that to me. And then, you know, along the way... Um, you know, I went to Rochester, and then that's where I met uh, I met Mitch Korn. Um, at up until that point, I really never had a a, a legitimate goalie coach. What and, a good first you know, goalie coach to have! I'm a child of the Corn myself. I know, man. Well, I... yeah, and so you know, and and you know, and Mitch really wasn't obligated to work with me. He was he was under contract with Buffalo, and he came to Rochester to work with the prospects in Buffalo. And um, I'm a Washington prospect, but he was great with me, and uh, really, really kind of made me a lot more technically sound and um but again i still had to work on that mental part and then so um you know and then we went uh went to portland um uh i got sent down halfway through the season and we'd moved our affiliate from baltimore to portland and then you know there i had barry trotz as a head coach and barry was 
Barry was a scout for what was a Western League scout for Washington when and he was actually the guy responsible for getting me drafted. And so now here I am with with Barry as a coach and we had a great relationship and and so for every year there was somebody and then the ultimate one was probably Dave Pryor um hiring him on in Washington uh and he really got me to channel things in a different way. He just had a he had a zen way with me like um he was so mild-mannered and quiet and and I was sometimes would flip off the handle and you know he wouldn't get worked up he just kind of calmed me down and and you know make me look at myself in the mirror and say, you really want to act this way? I mean, anyway, he got me straightened out. So, um, along, there was four or five key guys along the way that would really, that really helped me over those seven years until I finally became, uh, a starter. Awesome. Thanks for taking us through it. And, and like you mentioned, and you, you had your opportunities here and there, and, and it, it's just, it's interesting for us to hear. And I'm, I'm thrilled to you, you being able to tell that story of your perseverance and, and, and just how it, sometimes it, it, goalies develop at a different pace. And, and I don't think everybody realizes that all the time. Um, and it's just fascinating to hear how, how you went through that. Absolutely. Yeah, man. that's so true. Everybody develops at a different pace. Just like I said, just because you get sent down to the coast doesn't mean they're giving up on you. It's, no. It's uh, it's all about development, and some guys are, are ready to jump in the American League right away. Some guys are the rare guys are, are have the ability to jump in the NHL right away. You know, it's not the case for everybody. So, um, trust trust what uh, trust what your management team or your coaches are saying. Um, you know, they're always looking they're always looking for the best interest of the player. Yeah, it, you know, it's very rare to see a goalie jump right into it after being drafted. Uh, not now more than anything. Um, Charlie, I forget his name. Who was the the kid that got drafted by Florida this year? Uh, we talked about Spencer him. Knight. Spencer Knight. Yeah, I mean, they, they, I mean, Still a college kid. Yeah. Yep. You know, they 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 drafted him after after they signed Bob to a it was a seven or eight year deal for ten million a year, and you know, I don't know how that's all going to shake out because I'm assuming a guy like Spencer Knight's a guy who wants to play as soon as he's ready, and I'm not sure if he's going to be willing to wait seven years to play. Maybe that's two you sides know? of the coin, though, yeah. because we just mentioned how it takes a while for them oh, to it develop. Does. It does, it does, but when you're drafted as high as Spencer is, I'm not saying he's going to be ready one, two, or three years from now, but, I mean, is he going to want to wait five or six years to finally get his get it, get his turn in the NHL? But, well, he I mean, might not have a choice, though. I mean, that's oh, the yeah. thing. He got drafted, he's going to... Yep. He's going to play another two, three years of college, and then um, it's not a given. Even though he's a first-round pick, that he's you know he's going to spend some time in the American League. Oh, for um, sure. There's such a huge difference from from junior college uh, to the NHL. Like, but some people don't understand how good the American League really is, and and so if you look at it that way, that's it's probably going to be four or five years before he's even going to be considered a legit shot um, in Florida. And by then, who knows what's going to happen with yeah, Bob? True. I mean. You know they could buy. They could buy him out. They could trade him. Um, he could be. You know what? He could be. He could be the next coming of of you know Mark Andre Fleury, and and then they have Spencer Knight as a as a uh, commodity that they can you know trade for for more players. That's... So you just they're they're just teams do this um, based on you know he's not going to be an NHL guy now. No, but not we at all. look at him as a a huge piece for us in the future, and if, if, if the very least, he's a huge commodity for us. Now, before I ask you about Holtby and, and some of the guys you've worked with in Washington, 
Um, I just thought I'd mention, I played with Jack Campbell in Windsor, and there's another guy that was drafted in the first round by Dallas. Mm-hmm. Really high hopes. Um, he, he, you know, he got his chance. Uh, you know, he played the American League for a couple years, struggled when he when he got called up, and and now we're talking seven, eight years later before he finally caught on with LA, and now he's with Toronto. And, and Jack was the epitome of, of a hardworking, you know, dedicated, one of the nicest guys ever. I don't know if you ever crossed paths with him, Holy, but um, he's a guy that was so talented, had success at every level. Uh, you know, won the World Juniors, and then you know. Like you mentioned, people don't appreciate the jump from whether it's you know major, junior, or college to, to the American League, and it is such a huge jump. Um, and there's a guy that that you know is, is the example of that, and and maybe that's why we we haven't seen as many first round goalies drafted. Um, you know, but for everyone that doesn't work out, you have one like yourself that you know does persevere and makes it. Um, but I so I wanted to ask you, did you, did you have the chance to work with Philip Grubauer because he was. He was kind of, I don't want to say my arch nemesis, but he's somebody that played it in Belleville when I was, you know, we, we came up to the OHL together. Um, and, you know, one of my, my second ever game was against, you know, that Belleville team that had Grubauer and uh, P.K. Subin, and it ended up going to a shootout. And, uh, you know, after losing that to him, he was lights out. He was phenomenal. And I said, who's this German guy? And because uh, nobody really knew who he was. That was his first year, too. Uh, did you have the chance to work with Philip? Yeah, I work with Groovy in South Carolina and Hershey. Um, uh, Groovy to me is a consummate, consummate professional. Like that guy, that guy's a competitor. Um, he, uh, you know, and anyway, is the next year he get traded to Windsor, and when they win, they end up winning the, uh, the Memorial Cup. But um, I think he ended up. He was like a third or fourth round draft pick, and. I remember Dave Pryor thought really high of him and wanted wanted us to move up to get him because he thought that that good of him. So we were fortunate that he was still around um, in the third or fourth round. But um, you know, Gruby, I could tell right away. Gruby has that. He's got those. Um, uh, what are they called? Um, the intangibles. Yeah. Okay. Just, he has an intangible that you knew he was going to be. He might not have the size um, uh, that some goalies have, and I know there were comments made that you know he's he's very best uh, a backup goalie in the NHL. Um, but I knew that he just had this. It's a lot like Braden. Braden, they have intangibles where guys, their teammates just want to play hard for them, um, and when when the, the pressure is on the most, that's when they're their best. And uh, uh, I'm so happy for him. It was it, it sucked that we ended up losing him after we won the Stanley Cup. Um, but he deserved to be a number one guy somewhere else. He, I just remember him for for not being a big guy. He, he's able to play with with a, a wider stance, and he doesn't look big in the net. But you had mentioned the intangibles. But he always found a way, at least when I was playing against him, to make that save when his team needed it. And maybe that goes to speak on on the trust with his teammates that you talked about. Uh, but he's just such a you know calm and efficient is the word that comes to mind. There's not a ton of wasted movements, although his style might not be traditional, um, you know, like a Carey Price, you know, he, he's very good, you know, laterally in the crease. And it just always blew my mind and, and to, to see, you know, almost how easy he made it look sometimes. And, uh, you know, I'm happy as much as, you know, he had my number in juniors and it was painful uh, to play against him. 
I I was in Windsor a year or two after him, and, and you know everybody had nothing but good things to say about him. And uh, tough shoes to fill for sure. But you know, like you said, a steal. Now looking back on it, for you guys to get him in the third and fourth round. Um, but you had mentioned Holpe, and he's he's a guy that me and Dwayne have talked about a ton. Yep. Um, I'm a big fan of his, and and you talked about. You know, we, we talked about with you perseverance, but going back to to the year before you guys won the Stanley Cup, and uh, you had talked about this on the NHL Network about that clip I was talking about. He he had struggled and he had gotten away from some of the things that he did well uh, the year prior, and he ended up not starting the playoffs. And you know, Gruby came in and and, and Holtz ended up you know coming back and, and retaking that. What do you remember from from that and uh, that experience with Holpe and, and anything that? You know, conversations or moments that you may have had with him that, uh, you know, kind of when it all clicked for him. Because he was lights out. I go back to that save he made with his paddle. I think it was in, what, game two? And, yeah, uh, game two against Vegas, yeah. One of the best, all, like, big-time moments. Because if that goes in, you guys are going to overtime in that building, which was, you know, a circus. Electric. And, yeah, and, you know, going back home in the, in the finals, down 0-2 is a hell of a lot different than 1-1. Uh, can you kind of take us through uh, what that playoffs was like and working with him? Well, and so at that point, I was I was uh, part of the player development team, and and so Mitch Mitch Corn and Scott Murray were were Holtz's everyday goalie coaches. Um, but yeah, you know, there were times where, where I'd run into Holtz and, and just you know we talk and uh, you know BS a little bit. But my you know the thing with, with Holtz was. Uh, you know, Gruby obviously had an unbelievable run the second half of that season, and uh, Holtz's game was where you know he wanted it to be, and and so it was just it was just you know natural that we'd start Gruby in that um, you know in that series against Columbus, and what I think it did is it you know obviously Holtz was an unbelievable teammate through that whole through that whole time, he was very supportive of, of Gruby, and and was you know. 100% on board with the team, and um, but he had a chip on his shoulder. And when that opportunity came, um, you know, when he went in like halfway through Game Two and then started Game Three, um, you know, you saw you saw the player that that, that we had the, the year prior, and and uh, it was a huge, huge, huge reason for us uh, to win that cup. And like you said, that that save he made in Game Two. Um, you know, Vegas was, was pressing, and uh, they put that in, like you said. They got all the momentum going in overtime, and, and who knows what could have happened. So, you know, I think I tweeted out right after that. I said, that's the best save I've ever seen. And Especially for the moment. Of, well, I got a lot of grief from a lot of, lot, of, lot of Twitter people out there, but, you know, um, I guess I had to explain myself why that, why I thought that. And, like, you just um, said, it was it was the timing. It was, the, it was everything. And... Um, who knows if we're going to stand the cup if he doesn't make that save? For sure, for sure. And, you know, and like like I said, and that's that's what it's all about. Just you know, making that timely save, um, and that save in specific, man, that could have been, uh, you know, you know, a game, a, a situation, uh, a moment where it really could have changed the outcome of the series. For no sure. question. And you know, and then and obviously, we as goalies, we all know there's a lot of luck involved. And I mean. Um, you know the, the paddles uh, four inches wide, and and uh, you know the net's four feet high. So um, for him to you know to get his paddle on it, uh, there's there's some luck there. But he made his own luck by putting himself in that position. Absolutely, uh, it's funny you bring that up because for me, like th- that save, we've all been there as goalies. 
it, it's a fun save to make, but it's so low percentage. And oh, I yeah. always remember reaching over my paddle, and, and you know, I learned as I got older, even if I got a, a, a baby power push with my left leg, just to get there, you give yourself more of a chance instead of automatically reaching over. Um, but I always felt that uh, anytime I put my stick on the ice, they shot it in the air. Anytime I put my paddle in the air, they shot on the ice. So, like you said, it, there's a huge element of luck in the position, but you know, it goes without saying you have to put yourself in a position to make that save. Um, that Stanley Cup run must have been special, um, you know, for, for you to be a part of and, and have a, you know, a front row seat to that. Um, before we, we, we move on, um, is there anything else that you remember about that that run and, or even the aftermath, it, you know, having the, you know, the, the team parties with the Cup and just being a part of something as special as that? Anything that sticks out to you? Because, I mean, I remember watching that. I was rooting for Washington. Yeah. I... I, I, I hated that Pittsburgh, you know, had, you know, had your guys' number, so to say, for for the, you know, in the in the previous, you know, five six years, whatever it was, um, and, and I was never a huge Ovi fan up until that point, and then I kind of started to come around and and realize what a warrior he is, um, and so that that was special, you know, to see them win, and that Vegas team for me in their first year, they were they were a wagon, and and they yeah. uh, they were deep, they they played hard and fast and the tempo they play was unbelievable uh so anything that sticks out to you for that run or, or the, in the aftermath well there are a handful of things first the first first in the first round against columbus uh we were down two nothing uh we were in overtime in game three they hit the goal post uh in overtime could have made it three nothing we go down um i think bob or the defenseman the d-man uh bob makes a save and the d-man turns around is trying to clear the puck and and hits it right off a of Ellers skate. And so now all of a sudden it's two, one, we're back in it, end up winning that series. Um, you know, obviously Kuznetsov's overtime goal against Pittsburgh to finally exercise those demons. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then, you know, and then we're up with two nothing against Tampa Bay. Um, we beat them in their building. First two games, they come back, they beat us. Uh, next thing you know, we're down three games to two. Um, we come back in our building, and it's probably the best playoff game we played, um, as long as I can remember. Uh, the Capitol. We ran Tampa right out of the building in Game Six. We took it back to Tampa, and it wasn't even a contest. We beat them in Game Seven. Um, well, and you then, shut them uh, out in Game Seven too, eh? Yeah, we shut them out, yeah. um, and you know that was unbelievable. Going on the ice with the guys when they when they handed out the uh, uh, you know, was it the Prince of Wales. Uh, Prince of Wales Trophy, yes. Yeah, Prince of Wales Trophy. So, and and they didn't care. There was no superstition with that team. Ovi picked it up, and we all carried it around. And um, and then obviously, you yeah, know, don't give Vegas. I think after game game four in Washington, uh, we just won. And we're up three one. Uh, sorry, before game four, um, I think that's when I went on NHL Network, and they had the uh, they had the stage set up outside the building. That was that three, was an electric complete, factory. Three complete blocks around the building was just a sea red with fans. It was I'd never seen anything like it. You know, and then we came out of that building after Game Four. We were on the we were on the precipice of winning the cup, up three games to one. And people, you know, there, there's a museum right across the street, and you know, it's like fifteen rows of steps and just fifteen rows of, of, of people chanting, you know, we want the cup and. It was, yeah, I'd never seen anything like it. And then we ended up winning. We come back to D.C. for the parade. And I swear there were more people there for the parade than there were for Trump's inauguration. It was incredible. <laughs> I love awesome. that. I love that. Yeah, that's, that's awesome. Um, yeah. 
You know, I, uh, you know, the closest thing we have had here to that in Buffalo is probably, you know, the big rally we had for the team in 99 after they, you know, they returned home from losing, you know, after we lost to Dallas. Um, we had probably around like 15 to, I'd say at least 15,000 people on downtown Buffalo just to thank the team for the year they put on. That's when the infamous no goal uh, slogan yeah. was, was born, um, which, you know, was still haunts us, like you said earlier, amongst other things. But um, just just the way you talked about uh, the way that the fans rallied around you after that, you know, we miss that here in Buffalo because, you know, people like to talk about the party in the plazas that they see in Nashville and stuff like that. That, that was all kind of born here in Buffalo during those playoff runs we had in the in the mid two thousands. Um, you know, we you know you couldn't find a better hockey base you know than what we had here in Buffalo, and it's you know it's a far cry from that now. Um, so hopefully we, you know, hopefully, you know, under, with, with, under Jack Idle, Judge Jack Eichel, Jack Eichel, uh, and, you know, guys like Rasmus Dahlin and, you know, some of the other guys like Dylan Cousins we have coming up, you know, we could have that back one day. But um, just touching on what you said before that, the, the, the moments, uh, based, uh, piggybacking off Collie's question, what was it like to have Ovi hand you that cup? That. Honestly, it was the coolest moment I'd ever experienced because I came, we, you know, the management crew, we got on the ice later. They, you know, they, they do the cup ceremony and the guys all skate around and then they allow, they allow the staff to come on the ice. And, and so you're, you know, you're, you're shaking hands with, you know, with, with the GM and the coaches and, and so the, the players are already done, you know, multiple things around the ice. And, and so they're ready to go into the dressing room and, um, I was sitting there talking with somebody, and, and Ovi was skating by with the cup uh, on his way to the room, and he caught caught me on the corner of his eye, and and he's like, "Hola, fi," and came <laughs> over, and he's like, "Can you believe we did this, bitch?" And, uh, <laughs> and, and honestly, it, 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 to me, it just spoke volumes about about um, you know what kind of guy he is, because you know his first few years, I was kind of like a big brother to him, and kind of um, you know just. The, the, the whole team looked out for him. We had a, we had a good group of veterans that looked out for him. But um, you know, I was I was the, the most veteran guy, I guess, on that team, and, and um, so we'd always had a really good relationship. And for him to do that, just you know, a he recognizes the history of the organization, and you know, I had the opportunity and, and, and never won it, and um, um, so for him to come over, it really it, to me just cemented, um, you know, he's the greatest greatest player ever in Caps history and, and like you said earlier he, that 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 playoff was the was definitely a transformation of of Ovi the great goal scorer to Ovi great leader because he did things in in that playoffs that you didn't see before blocking shots and taking kids taking guys under his wing whether he's giving them shit or he's giving them some encouragement um uh he really took the bull by the horns yeah. It was fun to see because there was always that knock on him, whether, you know, it came from just results-based, you guys never being able to get it done in his tenure. And and I hated that media narrative. And, and the, you know, the, the media will always find a way to to pick things apart when, when you don't, you know, win that last game of the season. Um, and like I said, I was never a huge Ovi fan, um, but, I you know, I was coming around it. And like you said, it was awesome, awesome to see him do the little things and transform his game and it must have been special for you to to see it up close and you know be a part of that group and 
to exercise the demons and get that monkey off the back. It was still an all-time moment for me seeing him be able to lift that that trophy. And and the story you just told about him handing it to you speaks volumes about his character. And, and for anybody that ever ran with the narrative too that you know he wasn't a team guy, I think that put that to bed and that makes that complete bullshit because Ovi Ovi has always been a team guy. He might Ovi. not have you know he might not have done things the right way as a, as a captain. Um, but he definitely did at that playoff series. And the difference, you know, really, the, honestly, the difference um, that, that year, it always, always had a good playoff. Always. Um, he's always been our our go-to guy. It's that we finally had secondary scoring. I think every one of our forwards at least had one goal in the playoffs that year. Um, and that couldn't have been, you know, Kuzi had a great, Kuzi could have, Kuzi could have been up for the MVP in that uh, guy had that 32 year. points. Right, and including and big so, moment goals like that Pittsburgh goal. I know we fed it to him, but man, you, you guys don't score there. Like that, that's got to be a tough game seven to go back and play, right? Oh, like, no, no question, right? Especially with all the history we have with that team. But you know, the year before, Kuzi was a no show. He didn't he didn't produce anything, and so that was a huge difference. A, I mean, yes, Ovi Ovi did some things that 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 elevated his stature, but B, it was. Everybody else supported Ovi. Like, it wasn't just Ovi trying to do everything by himself. Or um, everybody had a hand in that in that Stanley Cup victory. Seven seven guys with more than ten points. And like you said, in years past, you really never had that secondary scoring. It felt as if in some years it was Ovi almost having to try to do it by himself. Uh, but even guys like Tom Wilson and Lars Eller, like uh, they had big goals. I'm pretty sure yeah. Lars Eller had the the cup clinching goal, if I'm not mistaken. Oh, Devontae, yeah, he did. Devontae Smith Pelly. Smith Pelly was unbelievable for us. So. Seven goals, Smith Pelly in the playoffs. That's unbelievable. Yeah. Yeah, so that was that was you know that really showed the depth of our team. But um, depth you know, on the like middle. I said, Ovi did things above and beyond what he did previous years. That's awesome, yeah. man. Yeah, special to hear about it. I had one quick question, and then I'll kick it over to Dwayne. Um, unless you had something about the Stanley Cup. No, I oh, yeah. But I think as much fun as I had watching Ovi, you know, really become the true leader. I mean, he already was, but at least in the public eye watching him become the true face of that franchise, the true leader of the franchise. I think I enjoyed it just – I think I enjoyed watching him celebrate yeah, it was the awesome. two weeks after because it really just showed – I mean, he always get knocked on how he would celebrate goals and stuff like that. You know, I always thought that was that was bullshit, man. Like, you score a goal in the National League, yeah, you yeah, have every yeah, right exactly. to go nuts. Yeah, you, you, you can go nuts all you want. I don't care. Um, but watching well, him – You know, that's the thing, though. Like, the thing that endeared everybody about him when he first came into the league – was his enthusiasm and how much he loved the game and how much he showed uh, his enthusiasm when he scored. Yeah. Then he became, you know, then he became this popular, fantastic superstar. And the next thing you know, everybody wants to tear him down for doing the exact same thing that we were all in love with. Because um, you, that, because why not? You know, you, 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 you can't you, you, you got to dig up bad things to say about the guy. You know, it, for sure. It, you know, for he, sure. he scores 50, that's 60 goals a season. That's not good enough. We got to find we got to find digs on him. Ridiculous. Right, but the party, the partying was epic. I mean, was, <laughs> oh my God. I, I think that's probably what the team is going to get known for more than the actual win. Yeah. And then you know, you the see Bender. St. It's Louis really try to try to outdo us uh, last year, and uh, I don't think they pulled it off quite as good as we did. No, you guys get the decision there for sure. Right. A valiant effort by St. Louis, and you know, I was happy to see them valiant win too. Effort, but when you got a guy throwing up in the parade, and then you got <laughs> all talking, I mean, it's just kind of Peg stands out of the like, cup. Yeah. <laughs> no, it was that's that's awesome. Um, I speaking of St. Louis, um, it was fun to see, and, and I didn't really know much about Chief Craig Berube much before that. 
Um, but it was really cool to, you know, kind of get more to know him and just the whole story about St. Louis, you know, him, him taking over halfway through the year and them being the first team to go from last place, you know, that late in the season to winning it all. Uh, it was cool to me, and I was definitely rooting for St. Louis um, in particular because New England sports teams have just made Buffalo sports fans' lives miserable over the past 20 years. Yep. Um, but still, there was a lot of, lot of reasons to root for him. Um, what was it like getting to play with, with uh, Craig Berube? Because it was only recently that I realized you know, just how tough of a player he was, man. This guy was nails. Um, but then to hear a lot of his former teammates speak to him, it's just fascinating to me because a coach like that, there's you know a lot of different types of coaches, and I coach junior hockey myself and you know there's a lot of guys I try to mold myself after but to see the way that Craig Ruby you know is earned the respect of his players um, by just you know the way he communicates with them and uh, just knowing the right things to say and I'm sure that you know you got uh, caught a glimpse more than a glimpse of that playing with him what was it like playing with him back then and uh, you know I guess second part of the question is you know how cool was it to see him have that success one of my all-time favorite teammates um, playing with him um you know, we had a we had a, we had a nice little group. Myself, uh, Chief Dale Hunter, um, Phil Housley, Mark Tenorti. You know, we we kind of ran around together, played golf together. Not Hans Hunts didn't play golf, but the rest of us uh, we did. And um, so I, I'd gotten to know Chief pretty good, and and just one of the all time great teammates. Not only you know, obviously is is his toughness, but. He honestly tried to get better at his game every year. He'd be one of those guys that would stay on the ice and, and, and work on his skill set. And, um, you know, was always picking picking Dale Hunter's brain about the game. And, and so he was really a student of the game. And, and uh, um, you know, he had a lot of success, uh, you know, obviously at the American League level uh, with the Phantoms. And then, um, you know, his first year in Philly, he had a, he had a really good year. So um, knowing Chief... He's a no-nonsense guy. Um, there's no there's no mind games with the players. It's black and white. Um, he's not about the spotlight. If you notice during the during the finals, uh, it was know, all Bruce about Cassidy, his guys. Bruce Cassidy was was trying to get in front of a, a camera every chance he could, and, and Chief was just kind of behind the scenes. And um, so it was. I was so excited that 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 they won, and, and you know, back to back years, uh, two franchises that 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 had never won a Stanley Cup, all of a sudden, you know, um, both add one to their resume. And obviously with what Phil, uh, with uh, what St. Louis did, like you said, lasted uh, around Christmas time to, to, to hoist in the Cup. But you know what? I I did a NHL, you know, before the playoffs started, I did an NHL bracket thing. And I had St. Louis losing to us in the finals. I love and it. And the, the reason I say that is because you just saw how, A, they were a talented team going into the season, but... You just saw everything start to come together, and how many years? Have you, how many times have you seen it where, where a a team is locked up first place in February and failed to make it to the second round? Tampa Bay, B, well, Washington. We've done it too a few times. Well, I wasn't going to bring uh, that up for you. <laughs> well, you know, you gotta, you gotta, you gotta look at yourself in the mirror sometimes before you can take, you know, the pats on the back. But, um, you know, and then you got teams like uh, God, remember the one year Philly. They beat the Rangers in a shootout the last game of the regular season with Brian Boucher against Henrik Lundqvist. Um, or no, it wasn't it was Boucher. Anyway, uh, they didn't go all the way to the finals and lose to Chicago. Right. Uh, Edmonton Oilers a number of years ago, they made it in like the last day or two of the regular season, and they go all the way and lose a seven to Carolina in the playoffs. Let's so, not talk about that it, year, all right? <laughs> you know, yeah. Not- so 
We were you know, like, we that's were, why I mean that's why I thought St. Louis they they had so much momentum going into those playoffs, and they were a dangerous team. They they had talent, and then obviously you know the emergence of Jordan Bennington, and um, you know the rest is history. It's funny you say that, and and we appreciate you staying on with us as long as you have. We have a couple of fan questions for you, but one quick thing on that. You mentioned it, and me and Dwayne talked about it a bunch during that run. It felt like the all the pieces kind of came into place. Um, they had such a talented back end. Alex Petrangelo was my captain Niagara, and he's such a consummate pro, and he's somebody that doesn't get the praise he he, he deserves because you know he he's his first pass is immaculate. He 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 plays so he's so good below his goal line in his own end. Uh, he you know he, he doesn't get the credit he deserves. I feel like for being a leader of that team, uh, but. It, it's cool that you mentioned, too, that back-to-back years you had teams that, that had never won a Stanley Cup. Hopefully Buffalo's up next. Um, but I hope so. No, it, it, I just had to bring that up about Chief because, you know, I've – you are. You mentioned he's one of your favorite teammates, and I can't count on, on my fingers and toes how many guys have came out and said that. So, um, listen, we only we really appreciate you staying on for as long as you have. Uh, we have a couple fan questions. Is it okay if we tee you up for them? Yeah, yeah, go ahead. Absolutely. Uh, um, well, the first, it's a two-part question. It actually comes from one of our sponsors, uh, Better Biscuit and Easy Goal. And before I mention that question, um, for those who are listening, there is a key phrase we're going to put out there for you guys that will enter you to win a, uh, a, pri- a grab bag from Better Biscuit. If you mention in uh, our DMs at two goalies on Mike or at better underscore biscuit, if you enter the key phrase Oli the goalie, you will be entered to win a grab bag. So there's uh, for our listeners, uh, there's an opportunity to win something there. But the questions I do have for you um, is a two-part question from Better Biscuit Easy Goal is, how often do you still get called Godzilla? Uh, by ex-teammates quite a bit. Um, not, not, not a lot by, by, the, by the general public. <laughs> okay. Uh, well, I, I'll let you know, man. That's the first thing that came to mind. I was like, I can't, like, uh, when, when you agreed to do this, it's like, oh, man, I got Godzilla on. This is awesome. <laughs> I still have that. There was a T-shirt they made out back here in Buffalo during that, that, that series in 97-98. Was uh you know yeah the Dominator versus Godzilla? I think I might still have that T-shirt somewhere. I remember that. It was yeah. pretty, and they actually, I think ESPN had a magazine cover um, yeah. with that thing on it too. Oh, that's I had it somewhere. It was it was pretty cool at the time. Oh, for sure. I got one here from uh, you know a big friend of the show, Jeff Van Dusen. And he asked, "When did when did you know that going to an NHL was a reality and no longer a dream?" Great question, Jeff. That is a good question because honestly, when I played junior, um, I mean, I, I, you know, obviously the hopes of, cause I, I had a scholarship offer to go to college and I wanted to, to give junior a try just cause I know that's the, that back then it was the best avenue to, to get to the NHL. And I don't really think it set in until second half of my draft year. And I, I was doing interviews with, with teams and, um, and then, you know, that, that, you know, the year, uh, in 89, when I got drafted, I got my name called by Washington in the first round. I was like, whoa, this is this is reality. And then, you know, I made the team at that first training camp, and, um, you know, it was it was awesome. But there were obviously there were a lot of there were a lot of years of doubt after that um, because it did take me another four or five years to get back to the NHL. So um, I don't think until uh, that ninety seven ninety eight season uh, did I really solidly believe that I was going to be in the NHL. 
Yeah, and you know what? Back then, like I said, you were the first of the the, the big goaltenders. Nowadays, six foot three is like that's kind of what they're looking for to even like to even get a sniff these days. You know, you don't. Well, you know what? And back then too, like I was, it wasn't. I was a six three. I was. I was like two hundred and forty pounds. I. You were, I, you were solid. You know, I. Well, because you work. You know, now now it's you know sport position specific workouts. Back then, goalies worked out the same as defensemen as forwards. So you know, you were bench pressing, you were military pressing. There wasn't any. There was no Pilates, there was no yoga, there was no football, there was no the court. Nobody even knew what core strength was back then. And so the hip was, mobility. Was, you know, I was a big guy just like, you know, like Rod Langway or Kevin Hatcher or Eric Lindros. It's fun to see, especially how, you know, the position-specific training has gotten. I, I, I caught a bit of it towards the tail end of my, my OHL career, but just everything they're doing now from, from the balance to the hip mobility and flexibility, uh, but even the... Uh, the you know your eyesight. I'm gonna ask you this really quick. Um, ben Vanderklok had mentioned that Pekarene uh, was going to get done. I'm sure he has it done now. His eyes corrected to better than 2020 vision. Have you ever uh, you know heard of anybody doing that? Uh, I haven't, but I know that uh, I know when Mitch was 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 with us at Washington, that was a huge thing, and we had we had the goalies all set up uh, to do uh, eye training um, with a guy in DC, and then. They would continue to do that eye training online, but I'd never heard of that uh, getting a corrective where it's better than 2020. And I thought 2020 was the best. Me too, buddy. Me too. Yeah, right? <laughs> we got a couple more for you. Maybe, maybe you can see through things. You can see through forwards now instead of around them. No more screens. Yeah. Right, um, next question um, comes from, you know, we're going to go straight to the uh, actual Easy Goal sponsor. How do you feel knowing that you, that you shut out the best players that the NHL had to offer during a 2000 NHL All-Star game for a whole period was what was your headspace like before during that game? Like, you it's know, a great question. Not that easy was, to you know, yeah, honestly, that was that is a great question because at the time, I mean, I, you just go in there in survival mode. And, yeah. Um, you know, I played. I, I think I finished the game. I played the third period, and uh, um, we ended up winning that game. Um, but yeah, I had a shot. I think I only had like nine or ten shots, but. In an all-star game, nine or ten shots are usually nine or ten grade-A chances. So, yep. Two on ones uh, or breakaways, baby. But you know, the funny thing is, after the game, the only goalie prior to that to get a shutout was Ken Dryden. And I think Ken was the president of the Leafs at that time and came down to the dressing room and congratulated me. That's uh, so cool. And, and let me know, and I thought that was unbelievable. Not bad company to be, uh, you know, to share with there. Yeah, for one period anyway. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. All right, Dwayne, you got another one? Okay, we have uh, Matt Lipsky. Uh, he wants to know your thoughts on the famous hot dog mustard card. <laughs> Worst card ever created. I can't believe that they uh, actually produced that, but I was in Tampa Bay at the Those old bastards. Uh, Thunderdome, and um, you know, you, you sat in the runway with the photographers and got to chatting with the guy and uh, asked him what the funniest, you know, picture he's ever taken is and has he caught any of the players like eating popcorn or anything and next intermission i came back and sat in my spot and he hands me this hot dog with my name written in mustard and he <laughs> said here just hold this and took a picture and didn't think anything of it and yeah, um, so i came out the next season i came out of a home game in washington and you know a group of fans there and they were just laughing and chuckling and uh i asked what was so funny and the kid hands me this hockey card and not only does he take a picture of me with a hot dog, but he uses a fisheye lens, which makes me look like I'm 300 pounds. <laughs> and then, and then that, you know, insult to injury, you know, the, the action shot on the back is Rick Tabarachi. 
That's, that's awesome. Yeah. So you're, yeah. it was a setup. So it I'm was... not a big fan of that card. <laughs> um, quick question. We asked Mike last last week if uh, he'd be willing to do this because um, we plan on getting a studio set up here at some point. I know you. I, I, I mean, I'm not now. I feel kind of scared to ask that question. Uh, once this whole quarantine and this coronavirus stuff is over with, would it, would it be? Uh, Rude of me to ask you to possibly send us maybe maybe if not that picture a piece of memorabilia autograph so we can hang it on the wall of the studio. Once yeah, yeah, I can, I can find something. Oh, sure. that's awesome, man. We can send you something if you don't have anything to do. Uh, send us, but uh, that would be greatly appreciated, man. Because like you said, you were one of my all-time favorites, man. Top five for me, hands down. And I've really enjoyed this interview, Oli. It, it, it's I'm excited for for the goalies, uh, you know, for all of our listeners, but for the, for the younger goalies that get to listen to this and, you know, kind of hear your mindset and allowing us to pick your brand for as long as you did, man, we really appreciate it. I have one last question, if you don't mind. Um, so it, uh, it's going to take me a second to get this out. So the, the night in question is November 21st, 1998. It was a game against the Bruins in which 12 ejections happened and over 270 penalty minutes. And before we get there, uh, I want you to tell uh, our listeners, if you can, a little bit about the background, about your relationship with Byron Defoe. So Byron Defoe and I got drafted together in uh, in 89. I actually hated the guy because he was playing for the Portland Winter Hawks, and we were both up that year for you know, along with John Tanner being one of the first goalies selected. So we always had, you know, we battled and I thought he was arrogant, yada, yada, yada. But anyway, we get drafted together and, and we become, you know, we're the only two rookies that went to uh, Russia that year with the team for training camp. And um, we, get, we actually became very good friends and then became best of friends. So over the course of the year, we, you know, we obviously both got married and we were best men at each other's weddings. And then we ended up obviously having kids and, and uh uh you know i was i was his son's godfather and he was my one of my uh my daughter's godfather so there's a lot of a lot of history so you guys were best man in each other's weddings um I, I don't know exactly when when those weddings happened but no they were before they were before this okay so you guys in this game obviously you know bruins capitals it was a 5-4 you know showdown that you know back in the day when you know this wasn't you know, it wasn't out of the ordinary for this to be, you know, you know, a couple Donny Brooks. Um, you would mention off the air how it wasn't much of a, a scrap, but what was that like? And uh, you know, kind of tee us up for how it happened. Was that was a full line brawl? Did you make your way down to the other end, or did he come to well, meet so you? Here, so here's here's how it happened. So we were down two nothing, three nothing early in the first period, halfway through the first period. This is coming off our our Stanley Cup year or Stanley Cup run year, and we hadn't had a good start to this season, so we we're down early and. So Dale Hunter felt like he needed to, to stir things up, and he went and uh, ran Don Sweeney in behind the net, and him and Don ended up fighting. And then, um, no, sorry, sorry, it was, uh, it was Chief. It was Chief. The Chief ended up um, hitting Don Sweeney, and then ended up fighting. And and so uh, you know, Mark Tenorti was on the ice. Um, I think Dale Hunter started getting into it with Jesse Belanger, who was, who was Boston's tough guy at the Couple time. Couple heavyweights. Yeah, and well, I would call Huntsy a heavyweight. He's a he's a gamer, but he's he's not a heavyweight. Maybe when it comes to having beers, but not not <laughs> fighting. But anyway, um, so Jesse and and Hunt start uh, squaring off, and I just felt like it was a mismatch. I was pissed off in the game, obviously giving it three goals in a short amount of time. So I take off and go help Hunts, and uh, you know, next thing I know, I got this guy draped over my back and. Uh, I turn around and it ends up being Byron, and, uh, and I go, "You got to be kidding me!" So, hey, buddy, how's we, it going? Yeah, so we uh, we dropped the gloves and we just kind of we just kind of 
grabbing each other's jerseys and kind of tussling and, you know, kind of giggling a little bit. And we were right by the Boston bench. And, and I remember uh, a couple of their players going, well, you two blankety blanks uh, stop smiling and start throwing them. Hey, yeah, so hey, Byron, thanks for the wedding gift, Byron. Hey, how's how the kids? Yeah, I'm good. Yeah, so Byron, Byron gets this surge of adrenaline, and he pulls my jersey over my head. And I remember saying, Byron, don't you even think of doing it. And to his credit, he didn't. Um, ah, good guy. And, yeah, and so, uh, you know, the game ends. We, we, I, we all got kicked out, and they end up winning. But So that summer, we were at a golf tournament, and somebody brought up, you know, brought up the, the fight. I said, oh, we just, we called it the dance because, you know, there was nothing happened. We were just. Yada, yada, yada. And, and uh, so one guy asked, so who, who ended up winning the fight? And I go, well, that, nobody really won. Nobody threw a punch. And, and Byron had clipped the Boston Globe the next day. And it was a picture of right when he had the jersey over my head. Oh, and no. he cut the article out and kept it in his wallet just for this precise moment. And he pulls it out of his wallet and he goes, uh, I don't know, but uh, you guys can make your mind up. And <laughs> what a I, beauty! That's so. You know, I, hey, that's I, a good friend I, right I, there. Anytime, anytime you want to rematch, let me know. And so, but yeah, that was uh, that was the dance. That was uh, yeah, that was an embarrassing moment. I even remember watching the replay the next day or listening to the Boston commentators. They're like, they're best men at each other's weddings. I love it. That that's yeah. incredible. Thank you for sharing with that. My brother brought it to my attention this morning, and I I was fascinated by it but uh just to have it happen that way and of course byron your good buddy you know clipped i just love that he clips out the picture keeps it in his wallet yeah uh, I, know, I wonder I if he teed that guy up in advance to say hey bring this up at the golf tournament Here, he might have he might have who knows oh. i wouldn't put it past him hunter going back into the corner now defoe grabs hunter byron defoe grabs dale hunter and here comes olaf polzik from the other end of the ice Piggybacking off that, uh, mentioning Byron Defoe, uh, next time you talk to the guy, tell him to check his DM because I may or may not have reached out to the guy. Uh, would love to have, love, him. love to have him, and I'll um, give I'll give him shit for uh, the old uh, wallet prank there. Yeah, and you know what? He also starred in an episode of the an old Disney show called The Jersey. And uh, I mentioned that in the DM too. I don't know if maybe he saw that. I was like, oh, I'm not giving this this pigeon. He's pretty good. He's pretty good at uh, at answering those things. He's pretty good at answering fans. So I'm surprised he. Have you gotten through his Twitter handle? I can't. I, I'm not sure. I have to look if it was Instagram or Twitter. But I did. I did shoot him a DM. Him and. Uh, Another uh, Boston alum, Andrew Raycroft, and uh, you've yet to hear from either. So if you talk to well, him, give him some shit for yeah, us. I'll talk to him, but DM him again and just say, "Listen, you need to, you need to. Uh, I need to have you on to rebut some things that, that we need your can. side of the story here, Byron. <laughs> yeah, um, we got a couple. We got a couple <laughs> last ones to finish up. Thank two, you again. Two last ones. Yeah, no problem. Uh, uh, a, a, another friend of the program, William Marengo, asked, uh, "Which shooter gave you the biggest problems throughout your career?" That's a good question, man. Ooh, uh, Shooter would probably be Mario Lemieux. Um, Not a big deal. The guy, the guy that had the most success against me is probably Ron Francis. Um, it just seemed every time we played, you know, whether it was Hartford or Pittsburgh or Carolina, wherever he played, he always ended up getting one on me. And it wasn't because you know 
overpowered me with a shot or whatever, but he was just one of those guys that just stood in the dirty areas and would bang and rebounds or tip pucks. And uh, But Mario, for sure, um, that reach, the speed, he had deceptive speed. Um, you know, just, yeah, he was unbelievable. Really quick before Dwayne asked the last one, on that, you had mentioned that you know Ron had the ability to get to the dirty areas and, and find a way to, to get maybe those greasy goals. Uh, but a guy like Mario, with having that reach, his ability to change the shot angle, you know, how tough was that? And any other guys that you know, I, I call it deceptive release. Uh, you know, I remember playing against you know certain guys uh, that might not have had you know a cannon, but you know a couple names that come to mind: the Taylor Hall. Um, you know, John Tavares, they, they didn't have overpowering shots, but they were able to disguise the release or, or change the shot angle so quickly that I wasn't able to adjust on my feet. Uh, anybody that, uh, you know, you remember having that kind of uh, ability to do that uh, to you? Jeez, Jerome McGinley, um former teammate of mine, Alex Semin, was unbelievable that way. Um, you know, Yarmir Yager was, was fantastic. Great. Um, but the thing with Mario was, like, you know... It, it, it wasn't like a shot was like an OV type shot or, I mean, he had, he had a, a great cast of players that, that would set him up. But, you know, like when he come down on a breakaway, good luck. Like when he takes the puck left to right, I mean, I had long legs and he, he would still get it around you. Like it was just, he'd either, he'd either snipe a top shelf, put it through your legs. He had like a different move every time he came down. He was just, he just, he just couldn't, couldn't guess right. Yeah, his arsenal was scary deep, and like yeah. you said, him going forehand to backhand, that might have been a 10-foot difference, you know what I mean? So, oh, easily. And, easily. And you know what else sticks out? I, I I was young at the time, but I just read this great article on The Athletic about them reliving the, you know, I think it was the Canada Cup Canada in 87, Cup, yep. but just Mario's ability to, anytime he broke free, People don't realize this if you're not a goalie, but you're trying to match the speed, so to say, on a breakaway. But he he had this ability to you know slow it down like Patty Kane did. Now we see, but also to speed it up. And people don't realize the the fits that gives you as a goaltender. And and uh, you know it's just it's fun to hear you answer that because um, you know like I said a little bit before my time, but one of the all time greats and, and his ability to do that is a goalie's worst nightmare. Well, yeah, and if you know what, it would have been scary to see if he'd have stayed healthy his whole career, like. You know, I'm not saying he could have challenged uh, Gretz, um, which is like what Ovi's doing now, but man, I, I bet you he would have come close. I, I honestly believe, and I'll, I'll die, I shouldn't say I'll die on this hill, uh, I mean, along with the fact that I think Hashik's the greatest of all time, is I think if Mario would have stayed healthy, that it might it might be him that Ovi's chasing, not Gretzky. You're right. Um, you're right. And, we'll and never know, but you're right. Another guy for goals too that I think that you know Ovi might be chasing had he stayed healthy was always Bure. Paul Bure had he hit, hit, yeah. had the bad knees because he was always averaging around fifty to fifty five goals a season. Talk um, about scary speed. That guy was fun to watch. Yep. Yeah. Uh, uh, he was the rocket. Yeah, he was yeah. great. And obviously, you know, some of his some of his great years was when he was in Florida, which is. Um, in our conference, so we got to see him quite a bit, which wasn't which wasn't fun. Yeah. Do you think? Oh, do you think Ovi catches Gretz? <sighs> with this, uh, unfortunately, I think with this coronavirus thing, I think uh, it might might stall him just because with momentum. Yeah. Obviously, he's, he's missing twenty, thirty games. That could be the difference. Um, you never know. He also it could be, but the, the other thing is too, like. Ovi gets the majority of his goals off those one-timers, and, you know, he might slow down and, you know, as he gets older, but that shot will always be there. So if he if he has Backstrom and Kuznetsov and Carlson keep beating him, you know, the chances are still going to be there for him. 
He's always stayed healthy too. He's never really, you know, ever run well, into a lot of injuries. That's why they came up with that blog, Russian Machine Never Breaks. That yeah. was all these quotes for his couple of years. Love it. Knock on wood that he stays healthy. Yep. That'd be a fun yep. little track. And we got one, at least I have one last question, and it actually comes from last week's guest, uh, Mike McKenna. And he had a question for you, which we're going to play uh, from the interview itself right now. Fire it uh, up. Okay. Um, it's pretty funny. Here we go. But with that being said, our next guest actually next week is the guy that you came in relief of, Ole the goalie, Olaf Kozik. Is there uh, anything you would uh, want us to ask him or any, any any type of memory you have with him that uh, you um, you want to share with us? The classic carryover question. I love it. There's a racing podcast I listen to that does this also. You know what? I'd like you guys to ask him something that's actually really obscure and this is this is one that should get a good story out of him if you're lucky, but first round of playoffs when I was with Portland and he was with Washington Capitals as, a, as I don't know, goalie coach or consultant, whatever, we had a disputed goal in Portland, Maine, and they couldn't get the video replay to work right from overhead. But he came rushing down and was like looking over the referee's shoulders while they were trying to decide whether this was a goal or not. Why? <laughs> I'd like to know what he saw and what he was and what he was trying to persuade the referees to think. Oh man, I love it. That's that's, awesome. that's awesome. Oh man. So I apologize for my scary uh, demonic laugh there. Um, what do you got for us? Oh, I remember the game, um, and I remember. I remember. Uh, God, was it? Uh, was it Andre Barakowski? Um, I I think it was Berkey that he's another guy who's got an unbelievable release, but he, he shot the puck and from what we saw, it went in. And, um, so they were, you know, they were huddling up or whatever. And obviously being, I was a goalie coach, uh, associate goalie coach Washington at the time. So, um, uh, I ran down and, uh, they didn't have the video replay in the penalty box. They had it in the Zamboni area. So, uh, you know, I, I go down that way every time I went to the dressing room. And so, um, I just happened to, to kind of go over there and, and you can see that, I mean, I saw the puck go in on the, on the video and they just couldn't for whatever reason determine that it went in. And, uh, um, so anyway, I went back and forth. I'm trying to remember what the, what the call was. Uh, we ended up winning the series. Um, That's all that matters, right? Yeah. Um, the Max Wright, I did go down there, and I was pretty emphatic. Um, this is what happens when you turn 50. Your, yeah. your mind starts going a little bit. But, um, yeah, I don't know. If, obviously, I don't think I did persuade him because I still think they didn't call it a goal. Oh. Uh, we, ended up, we ended up winning later in the game, but... Um, yeah, just shows the lack of influence I yeah. have. Yeah, no. Another another uh, questionable goal. I actually was white when I was getting ready for this interview. Was uh, an alumni game you did uh, with Washington, and uh, the old uh, Craig Lachlan scored a game winner on you, and um, they, they did they cut an interview with you after. Uh, did he did he kick that puck in? Well, the thing was, I wasn't in net. Um, since I played, I mean, I never went back in net. I had a couple bad hits. So whenever I play in those alumni games, I'm usually. Usually a power forward or staying at home defenseman. So it was Malarchuk, uh, I believe, right? Locker, yeah. Um, uh, Locker did kick the goal in, um, and uh, a definitive kicking motion. It is confirmed. 
Yeah, it was definitely a no goal, but uh, we had no instant replay, so the call on the ice stands, and they ended up winning the game. They never heard the end of it from Walker. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Well, listen, hey, Oli, we really appreciate it, man. This has been the most fun interview for me to do. Um, I can't wait for not all of our listeners and, and you know, the goalies especially, uh, one of the all-time greats, uh, you know, we really appreciate you taking the time to, to do this with us. And, uh, you know, when, when love to have you back on once uh, the season, you know, gets back going, maybe next season or uh, who knows what happens. But Yeah, definitely. Know. Anytime, guys. This was fun for me. Obviously, you know, it's good to talk hockey again in these uh, uncertain ter- uncertain times. Yeah, you so, know. It, it, you everybody know, out there, be safe, stay safe, and, uh, you know, continue to practice. I want to say social distancing, like physical distancing. Yeah, just be yeah. smart, guys. Wear your mask, and it's it's not just for you; it's it's for everybody. And uh, can't preach that enough. And you know, for the people saying we uh, we want life to get back to normal, the sooner that we all are responsible and do the right things, the sooner we'll have our beloved sports yeah. back. And uh, I'm happy you brought that up. And listen, all the best to you and your family. We can't thank you enough uh, for for coming on and spending the time you did with us. It was a lot of fun. It's been an absolute no problem, honor. Guys. To talk it's fun to for you. me too. Take care. You too, Oli. Thank you, man. It's been an honor. Okay, guys. Yeah. Bye. That was Oli the goalie. Uh, Godzilla. Dwayne, I don't know about you. That was that was fucking awesome, man. I, I oh love that God. guy. Um, didn't you know know a ton about him before we had this going in. I just remember some of the highlights and, and like we mentioned that series, but you know, the amount of ground we covered and, and uh, we really appreciate the fans. It's it's a lot of fun for us to have you guys fire in some questions, and uh, that was great. So big thanks to all the listeners that that did uh, fire in the questions. Hopefully we can keep that going. Absolutely, man. I mean, you guys really came through when we needed you, and uh, I, I, we tried. We wanted to keep that interview down to maybe thirty to forty-five minutes, and it just seemed he loved talking to us. So. I, I love talking to him. There was just so much to cover from from everything he went through, his battle through the minors. Yeah. I didn't really realize that, and uh, you know, to kind of he delve into the for seven years, and, and and just his perseverance. What a great guy, and. To see him have the success he did, to go on that, to, to for him to talk about in detail his Stanley Cup run where they, they came up short to Detroit, we could have talked about that for oh, yeah. a half an hour. Oh, yeah. Um, and then to talk about, you know... International why, play, too. Yeah, and, and that's something we didn't even get to. So that'll be a lot of fun to get to next time we have him on. Uh, but we're starting to have some, you know, bigger name guests in, and it's it's a lot of fun for us to, you know, have you guys fire in the questions you did. And uh, I'm not going to tease who we have yet. I'll let you take care of that on social media. But, guys, we got a couple real big names coming yep. up. Real um, big names. Just working out the logistics of that. Next week's show should be a, a beauty uh, to carry on this stretch of former NHLers. Um, that's all I'll leave it at. Um, but I just want to take a quick second to let you know. This podcast is brought to you by Mitt's Barbershop. Created and owned by a true friend of the program, Justin Gritsky. Mitts is a modern-day barbershop that provides a cool atmosphere featuring some of the greatest barbershops Buffalo has to offer. Come in, enjoy a free beer, play some video games, and get the best haircut in the area. When I asked Justin what sets Mitts apart from the evil chain super-duper cuts that we see at every intersection, his answer says it all. My vision was to create the only true barbershop in Cheektowaga, When customers walked in, I wanted them to get that feeling they got when they strolled into the barbershops of old. The golden era of what a barbershop meant, not just a place to get your hair cut. So if you're looking for the real deal, come on down to Mitts to get the real feel of what a true barbershop is and what it's supposed to be. The clear-cut top dog for all your haircutting needs. Look no further than Mitts Barbershop. And when you mention that two goalies and one mic sent you in, receive $5 off your haircut that day. 
Talk about customer service at its finest. Located at 3461 Genesee Street in Cheektowaga, it is located right next door to the 33 Speakeasy Bar and Grill. Their phone number is 868-1424, and their hours are Monday, 12 to 6, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday, 10 a.m. to 7 p.m. On Saturday, they're open from 9 a.m. to 4 p.m. and closed on Sundays because why not? Everybody deserves a little Sunday fun day. I want to finish this ad read off by reading a great testimonial from one of Mitt's loyal customers. Tired of the cookie cutter salons trying to get your attention? Also tired of those men-focused salons? Then when you leave, you feel like you just visited a Supercuts for Men and the haircut isn't any better? Then Mitts is the place for you. Great cut, very professional, great atmosphere. A great place for men to get cut and trimmed up. I'm honestly a little sad I'm only visiting Buffalo because I need something like Mitts back home. You heard it here first. Come on down to Mitts for a great cut and an even better experience. We're happy to have them as a sponsor to the show, and we hope you join us in finding out what makes Mitts just so special. Thanks again to Justin and all the hard work him and his staff do. And without further ado, we'll kick it back to two goalies, one Mike. Big thanks to Justin and the guys over at Mitts. Uh, be sure to check them out as soon as this Quarantine is over. I know I need a haircut. I look like Wolverine or that I stuck my finger in electrical shock it. Shock it. Shock I'm making it. up words now. Uh, nice and also, there, huh? <laughs> yeah. Nice and we also wanted to take a quick second to thank the guys from Better Biscuit. Uh, them and the guys, what easy goal? Easy goal. What they're doing during this time uh, is, is phenomenal. Huge thanks and to I- them. So we'll throw it over to that ad read. Big thanks to what they do for us. And one second, just remember, mention Oli the goalie in either two goalies when Mike's DMs or better underscore biscuit at Twitter, um, and you will be entered to win a grab bag. So just keep your eyes out for that. I know they tweeted that out us already. So, um, yeah, without further ado, here is a beauty of an ad read for Better Biscuit. We'll be back in a second. This podcast is brought to you by Better Biscuit. Better Biscuit is a hockey training tool designed to help you develop your game. These fiberglass reinforced pucks are developed to handle less than perfect surfaces, enabling hockey players of all ages to practice their skills in their driveway, basement, or schoolyard, honing their skills whenever and wherever possible. It comes in two different styles. The Better Biscuit Sniper helps players develop forehand, backhand, one-touch, saucer, drop passing, and shooting. Ideal for perfecting those toe drags, puck control, and stick handling. The other option is the Better Biscuit Passer. The passer will help you develop softer hands and help you become more accurate with your passes and stick handling. Will also help you improve your puck possession confidence for any skill level. Be sure to check out Better Biscuit at betterbiscuit.net for all your hockey training needs. Thanks again for all your support, and be sure to check out Better Biscuit. Now back to the show. Huge thanks to our brothers over at uh, Better Biscuits. Uh, be sure to check them out on their Twitter handle. And like Dwayne said, he had mentioned the secret code words. Um, Oli the goalie. A lot of fun there with that. Be sure to check them out. Uh, great product. Uh, and hey, is there any better time right now, Dwayne, to work on your mitts? No. 
Speaking of mitts, it's, mitts by Rich Out. Work on your mitts with better biscuit. biscuit. No, yeah, get your get your hands working. They got some great products. Um, so big thanks to those guys. Only the goalie is the code word. So check them out at better underscore biscuit. Uh, we had a lot of fun, uh, you know, collaborate with those guys. But uh, hey, listen, what a, what a great episode. Um, Dwayne, you're, you're the mastermind behind setting these up and, and I have a lot of fun doing it. So, um, I hope you guys had as much fun listening as we did talking to him. What a legend that guy is. My God, man. Well, he said top five all time favorite goalie for me. And that was an absolute honor to do. I was blown away. He even answered, to be honest with you. Uh, you know what? And hopefully he, he had mentioned to Byron Defoe that they're buddies and uh, hopefully, you know, he, he gets back to us. That'd be a fun one to do too. So, you know what? I would love to hear from you guys. Um, any, I no promise that it's going to happen, but anybody that you guys want us that you think would be a good interview, anybody that you think that we should give a chance to um, tweet at kid cully 33 at Dwayne s 39 or at uh, two goalies one mike let us know who you guys want to hear from and we will do our absolute best to get them on Dwayne, you got any final thoughts nothing man just uh please stay safe as Oli mentioned uh not just social distance but just like keep physical distance away from you know people so we can get you know back to normal life sooner rather than later you know that's pretty much it and you know, I, uh, I'm just still blown away by that interview. So uh, A lot of fun. Yeah. So, hey, we appreciate you guys. We will be back next week. But like Dwayne said, stay safe. Be responsible. The sooner that we conquer this as a society, the sooner we will have our beloved National Hockey League back. And, and it'll be fun to hear from... Uh, from Oli again soon. Uh, yeah. That'll be great. So uh, we'll be back next week, guys. Thanks again. We love you, and we will see you next week. Peace. Hi, I'm Oli Kozik of the Washington Capitals.
everywhere the imagination dares it's for the open-minded the pleasure seeker it's jeff woods with the new podcast about relationships and sexuality theme-based with special guests the blue hotel hotline at every episode climaxes with an adult bedtime story get a room and listen in at the blue hotel begins Friday, September 23rd. I'm Jeff Woods, and I'm shining a light on music and the rock stars who make it. He just was one of those people, he, he stood out. He was a magic guy. He really was a magic guy. All, we all have force. He had the same amount of force as we all had. This was before Led Zeppelin. Robert was full on. I mean, he was Led Zeppelin without the band behind him. He had the hair, the jeans, the whole thing, you know. And he was amazing. The Records and Rockstars podcast, heard around the world, and yours to hear wherever you get podcasts. All the episodes from jeffwoodsradio.com.